on. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring indie and small press authors with host Emma Polova. Today, I will be chatting with author Micah Klassen, who will announce the details of his book giveaway of True Tales at the end of the interview. Michael is a journalist, historian, photographer, author, and managing editor of the UP Reader with 35 years of experience. He makes his home in the oldest city in Michigan, Sault Ste. Marie. His book of fiction, Lake Superior Tales, published by Modern History Press, won the 2020 UP Notable Book Award along with Points North for 2021. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm doing fine, Emma. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Let's start out with your true tales, the forgotten history of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. What do you like about lost stories from the past? And mainly, how do you dig these up? How do you find all these cool stories? Well, I've I've been up here doing this for a lot of years, and um, I've always had a fascination for history and up here is just full of it uh the original early frontiers of up here rival anything that ever happened out in the west and a lot of it has just not been told and i'm trying really hard to fill in those gaps um some of the stories up here are really quite quite and this was this area up here was the west before the west when Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase, this became what was known as the Northwest. And so um, there's an awful lot of uh, really early history here that has never been covered. And some of it is on the verge of being lost because it happened so long ago that parts of it are being forgotten. And I'm trying to dig out those lost and old stories because not only are they fascinating, but they're lost puzzle pieces to our our local history. Um, As far as how I dig them out, um, a lot, I have a large collection of uh, history books here in the UP that date back to the 1850s and 1880s and 1890s. And so I'm able to read and research an awful lot of that early history along with um, parts in between. So it's uh, been really quite a fascinating adventure over the years of locating this stuff and researching it. Of course, there are also a lot of hours spent in historical societies and libraries and stuff, digging through old archives to see if you can find the real story, which is sometimes clouded in legend and hearsay and that sort of thing, which makes it also difficult to dig it out. How long did it take you to pull this book together with all the research that went into it? Well, it's it, it's been several years in the making. Um, part of it is I've, over the years, written a lot of uh, columns and feature articles about the UP as a journalist. And so some of those subjects were things that I have researched uh, over, the, over the last 35 years. And um, so there's... It's been a long time in the making. Um, I have a ton of other stuff that I haven't actually gotten to yet, which is on my list for my next volume. Absolutely. 
So who are your protagonists, your heroes, your MCs? Well, the, the, book, the book is broken up into little chapters and moments of UP history um, where I look at um, things that are basically historically, like I said, not, um, not well known. Um, but the subject matters range from anything from, I have one story about a pirate. I have a story about a woman, Native American woman who um, was left on Isle Royal with, their with her husband and they faced starvation for a winter on Isle Royal. Um, I have a story about when from Peter White, who was one of the original founders of Marquette, Michigan, on, in his own words, on what it was like to, um, to carve that city out of the Lake Superior wilderness. Um, I have a story on one, one of the darkest chapters in Michigan, um, where um, one of our uh, former governors wrote a book early on called The Iron Hunter, where he talks about these things across the Upper Peninsula that were called stockades. And what they were, were uh, women prostitution slave camps, which um, eventually, of course, was run out. But for many years, they flourished all across the Upper Peninsula from one end to the other in dozens of towns. And this is something that kind of followed the logging industry. And it is a subject that has been pretty much buried over the years. So it's um, the former governor in his book um, leaves a lot of information out there as to different events that were caused by this organization. And we find out that the organization was UP-wide. He claims that these people were operating 500 miles in any direction from the Upper Peninsula. And what they would do is go kidnap um, women off from farms in Illinois and Indiana and basically bring them up here and torture them and break them into prostitution for the loggers. That's horrible. Um, I've never heard it that. It's terrible. Um, it's one of the creepier experiences I've ever researched, um, I have to admit. But the organized crime group that did this was led by a priest and his daughter. Whoa. So, so can you give us the name of this former governor? Yes, Chase S. Osborne. He is the only governor ever to serve in the state of Michigan from the Upper Peninsula. He was a newspaper man over the years, and he was working on a newspaper in Florence, Wisconsin, where he ran one of these stockades out of town. And um, in that book, he makes different accusations from across the Upper Peninsula about different crimes that occurred, and claiming that they were all connected to this group of criminals that were running these stockades. And as I went into the research across the Upper Peninsula, I found out that it, basically everything he accuses everyone of is true. And so him being a former governor and a newspaper man, his credibility for me was really pretty high, which is why I went to investigate what actually happened behind this 
story. Okay, so this is one of your true tales in the book. It is, yes. It's, it's a chapter called Stockades of Terror. Wow, um, that's fascinating. I seriously have never heard of this. Well, it, it, there's, there's a certain amount of this, I think, that was intentionally buried, um, mm -hmm. just not only just by historians, but local communities as well, who really didn't want this bit of history getting out that this occurred in their communities. Okay. Um, I have, there's a small passage that I have um, that I found in a book that describes one of these places explicitly. And in the last sentence of it, I mean, he talks about how it looked inside, how many girls were there, all this other stuff. And then in the last sentence, he basically says that um, there's no proof that any of these stockades existed, so we don't think they did. Yet he can describe it almost like a picture painting, you know. And this kind of drives me a little crazy. There's been a conspiracy of keeping this hidden over the years, so. Must have been. I feel like I've tried real hard to kind of uncover a lot of that. I expect this is much more widespread than I was able to find. I was actually able to confirm at least seven cities in the Upper Peninsula that this, or not cities, but towns, villages, logging communities at the time, um, were all participating in all of this. And um, several of these places were um, owned and run by the local sheriffs. Hmm. Were you so surprised to find this out? Were you surprised at all? Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I was shocked. Yeah, no kidding. Whoa. Was, when I first read it, I really had a hard time believing what Osborne was saying, mm -hmm. yet I knew who, what type of character he was. So that's really what spurred me into investigating that story and chasing it down. I went um, from one end of the Upper Peninsula to the other one, mm -hmm. hitting different um, historical societies to see what kind of information they would have. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely amazed because every little piece I found fit together like a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. Excellent. So what were some of the challenges in researching and writing true tales? Well, a lot of it is just, a lot of it was just time, being able to find the time to get to all these different places to, um, to do the research behind everything. A lot of, a uh, lot of the stories in there, I try to rectify some myths and things like that, that have, you know, over the years, quite often those sorts of things develop across the Upper Peninsula with many of the different subjects um, that uh, occur up here. And so sometimes you have to really dig out the real story because the story that has been perpetuated over the years is erroneous. Right. So what are the major takeaways from True Tales? Well, the one of the big ones that I hope people get is that the UP in my mind has been its history and its past has been really kind of romanticized and I think a lot of people you know they kind of muse back oh I wish I lived back then and all that sort of thing but it was a rough and rugged country and there were dangers at every corner 
And I, one of the things I really try to portray within the book is exactly how hard it was to settle this frontier up here and the clashes of cultures that we had between uh, the different old world immigrants that came up here, but we also had loggers, miners, maritime. Um, it's, it's a very, very unique mix of individuals that sometimes turned into a serious volatility. We have so, so many different things up here that came from tragedy to, um, to murder, to prostitution, to all these different things mm -hmm. that, sure. yep, that the Upper Peninsula really tries to, shall we say, ignore. Um, it happens a lot. And, you know, a lot of the towns, and I can understand it, a lot of the townspeople want to put the best face on who they are and where they came from. Sure. Yeah. You know, and... So it, um, in my mind, is uh, um, it's understandable, but as a historian, it's not helpful. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, when you, it isn't. When you go back to these things and you found that people have been trying to cover stuff up over the years, it gives us an, you know, a completely erroneous picture of history. And you know, the idea of what I'm doing with True Tales is an attempt to repair some of that. That's awesome. So what do you feel sets you apart from other authors? Um, well, I, one of the things that uh, I think sets me apart from a lot, a lot of authors and writers these days, uh, particularly ones that I see on the internet, are the fact that I go to the sources and do the research. I, you know, yep. I go back to the newspaper, the original newspaper accounts, and I go back to um, the historical societies looking for things that actually occurred at that time. Sure. Whereas I, an awful lot of history, people just kind of pick up a book um, and copy out the story and that's where it goes, which is how we end up perpetuating a lot of these things that are wrong. Um, a few years ago, I did a book on Teddy Roosevelt who came up here and had a libel trial in Marquette. And we can, there were quite a lot of pictures involved. And as we were looking in the back research of, you know, different articles that had been done on the subject, mo many of the pictures had been erroneously labeled. They had been said that mm -hmm. they were one thing when they were another. Um, these things keep getting perpetuated because people so oftentimes don't look any further in the research than they have to. Um, you have to be able to sit there and put up with the tedium and the repetition to dig out the real story. So overall, what advice would you give to other authors who would like to write about history, whether fiction or nonfiction? Because you have written both. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the best for writing fiction and history um, one of the best things that I ever heard was from the writers who did the HBO series Deadwood. Um, they said, you go in, you do all the research, and you learn about the place and the people, and then you forget it, and you write your own story. Um, because all of that research will eventually pop its way in to add a bit of realism and authenticity. Occasionally, um, when I write a fiction story up here, like I did for Lake Superior Tales, um, I will have an actual character from history walk into it, 
Um, but it's only when I know who that character is, what their background was, maybe a few of their personal foibles, things like that, to be able to sure. throw in there to make this story seem to have a little more authenticity um, that, and that sort of thing. You use actual places, actual businesses that existed at some time or, you know, and just, you know, picture yourself there mm -hmm. and run with it. Um, as, as far as writing real history, nonfiction, it's all about the research. And you've just got to be able to get in there, follow, you know, look, look at what's written about it now, follow the stories, but in what is written about it, oftentimes there's, um, at least you'd like to think that there would be a bibliography that tells you where they got their information, where their sources were and that sort of thing, and you backtrack it and find out exactly what they were using, the source that they were using and um, see what the whole text says sure. and look at it from a complete perspective as opposed to trying to piece it all together in little bits and pieces. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself from writing true tales? Um, that some of these stories can creep you out. The mm -hmm. stockade, the stockades one really kind of um, stuck, has stuck with me. Uh, it's, you know, the fact that this occurred and the, the way that they were, you know, tr treating the women and everything else is just, it's really hard to, sometimes you get a little too far into the story. That one, I think I got a little bit personal. I, a lot of the information that I got seemed to be just popping up in front of me without a lot of effort. It was like the story wanted to be told. Sounds so, like it. That's fascinating. Gosh, don't you get nightmares from stuff like that? Occasionally. <laughs> I, I know I do. <laughs> okay, what is the funniest or the most bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author event? Oh, <laughs> I haven't really had a lot of really strange things happen to me. Um, the I guess m most of them, you know, are people that really want to sit and talk about the UP. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. The upper the upper peninsula is really quite a mystical place to an awful lot of people, which you know is great. It's I, I understand that completely, but I frequently have people that just want to sit and talk about their their adventures in the UP. And for me, it I've been doing so many different things over the years, particularly when I was as a journalist. Um, you know, I've been out on a naval frigate out over where the Edmund Fitzgerald was. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone mushing with the guys during the UP 200 when they do the dog sled race. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've Being a writer has allowed me to do an awful lot of stuff that uh, most other people would never get to do. Yep, I agree. What is next for Michael in 2022? Well, right now I'm doing a whole boatload of events to try and back up this book. But in between, like today, before I did this interview, I was sitting here working on another story that will be in a volume two of True Tales. Um, this one was about a lynching that took place in Menominee, Michigan. It was the last um, hanging that ever occurred in uh, basically the Midwest. 
Oh my but goodness. It, but it was, it's another one of those really ruthless and rather brutal stories to come out of UP history. So you're already working on that, right? Yes, I am. Okay. So would you like to read to us, Michael? Sure, I can do that. I can get into my laptop here real quick. And which tale are you going to be reading? I'm going to, I'm going to do something that is out of the um, Antonagon section. Um, where did my... I wanted this story as a sidebar to what has been written previously. It is about a well-known prostitute that has become a legend in the western end of the peninsula. This takes place in Ironwood Hurley. They are twin cities divided only by a railroad track in the Montreal River, which is the Michigan-Wisconsin state line. Hurley was known as Hell on Earth, while Ironwood was the moral side of the tracks. Hurley's reputation made Sini's sound like amateur hour. Silver Street, which was six blocks long, Hurley's main street contained nothing but vice. There were 63 saloons in those six blocks. All had prostitutes, liquor, and gambling. Of course, Hurley is one of the places mentioned in Osborne's narrative. This brings us to Lottie Morgan. She was also known as Lotta. Her real name was Laura Whittlesey. As a young girl, she was captured and placed in a stockade. It had a high wooden fence and it was said that escape was impossible unless a girl was purchased by a patron that happened to fall in love with an inmate. This stockade was described in Call It North Country like this. A log pen with a single entrance guarded by savage dogs. Inside the pen was a house consisting of a large, single large room. Its floor covered with close spaced pallets or workbenches. Here a dozen girls labeled and the dogs were trained to prevent them from escaping but not to prevent the customers from entering. Lottie Morgan escaped. She went over the wall and broke her leg as she dropped to the ground. She then hobbled and crawled a half mile through the snow. When she was found, it raised such an outcry that the stockade was burned to the ground that night. Lottie then tries to disappear for a couple of years, even attempting to enter a convent, but they wouldn't have her, essentially driving her back out into the streets. Lottie was a fallen woman, irredeemable to many. She went to work in Hurley in the saloons. Lottie would sing and perform on stage. Her popularity with the locals was high and she never starved for attention. She was loved by the men of all classes, even those that would come over in the night for clandestine debauchery from Ironwood. The local ladies didn't care for her at all. By all reports, she thoroughly loved the nightlife of Hurley. Lottie would open and close the saloons, all the while being the life of the party. Men often stated that they were in love with her. In 1890, it all came to an end. Lottie was leaving John Sullivan's saloon. She was walking down an alley to where her rooms were and an ax hit her in the face. Another blow was struck to her head and she was stabbed with a knife. Lottie Morgan was dead. It was April 11th, 1890. She was 27 years old. A passerby found the body in the early morning. At first he thought she was drunk and then quickly realized she was dead. The axe was found leaning in a woodshed near where Lottie laid. Blood and hair was stuck to it. A gun was found in her purse. It had never, it had never fired. She was taken by complete surprise. She still had all of her jewelry 
and there was $20 in their purse, so this wasn't about robbery. A cry went out from many of the citizens, mostly men, for the killers to be found, but it seemed to fall on deaf ears. The police seemed to be doing something, but mostly they speculated instead of investigating. Lottie's position in life seemed to prevent a serious investigation. The newspapers at the time touted her death as a fine example of everything that was wrong with Hurley. The sheriff commented that it was a Jack the Ripper-like murder. The Oshkosh Northwestern newspaper interpreted it like this. Lottie Morgan, who was about 27 years old and belonged to the Demimond, was found murdered behind a saloon in Hurley this morning. Her head was split open, cut off, and awfully mutilated with an axe. The police are working on a clue. This is a Jack the Ripper case. The Ripper murders had occurred only two years previous, and since no one was ever caught, speculation ran rampant at the time that Jack the Ripper had escaped to America, and dozens of murders were being blamed on the phantom of Jack the Ripper all across America. One of the other rumors that went around at the time is that she had overheard plans for a witness bank robbery. The story varies as to which it was. It was one of the local theories at the time as to a motive. One of the largest funerals ever held in Hurley was Lottie's. It was known in, it was held in the town opera house and was attended by many from all around. One of the papers, the Oshkosh Northwestern wrote this, the funeral of the late Lotta Morgan took place here yesterday afternoon. Her remains had lain in state in the Hurley Opera House for four days and were viewed by thousands of people. The elite of the town together with the ministers of the gospel assembled together with the citizens and the disreputable characters and mourned the untimely taking of a fallen woman, a woman who had fallen to the lowest depths of degradation. The murder was never solved and they believed it was because the police didn't care enough about a woman of her social status. Whatever the reason, the case was never solved and Lottie's death remains a mystery to this day. Was it a senseless killing? Maybe not. When Lottie escaped from the stockade, causing it to be consequently burned down because of her, she most certainly made some very powerful enemies. It could also explain why she sought sanctuary in a convent. It would also explain her name change as her only alternative was to work in the saloons. Since the stockade gangs often employed assassins, this seems very possible to me and it explains a lot about the murder. The rumor of her involvement with a bank robbery was probably a tale of misdirection at the time. It, it, it is a case that cries out for justice to this day. Thank you. Horrible, right? I can't yeah. believe something like this really happened. All right. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway of True Tales? Well, I will give away a hardcover copy of True Tales, signed by me and personalized to whoever the winner is. Um, they can send me an email at classandmichael at gmail.com. It's spelled C. Go ahead, Mike, give us your email. The first reader who emails me at classandmichael. The first reader who emails me at classandmichael at gmail.com will get a hardcover copy of my book, True Tales. 
I will sign it and I will personalize it to whoever wins the whoever wins the contest. Perfect. Before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavent and Modern History Press, that has been telling empowering stories of the struggle for identity and culture in contemporary times since 2007. Mike, you go first. You are my guest. Your parting shots. Well, um, I would also like to mention that I have a website that is full of this stuff similar to what is in True Tales, my books and my books point north points north. Wow, I'm just tongue twisted now. Um, I would I would definitely like to see people come and check out the uh, website if you're interested at all in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. It is full of history. It's full of places to go see and do. I have a large collection of historical photos that I am putting up online, and um, they are also all about the Upper Peninsula. I've tried to create a website that um, really interests people, especially those that want to check out everything from UP culture to UP history to uh, just places to travel and see in the Upper Peninsula. All righty. And my parting shots are buy indie, read indie, and write indie. And why not explore small presses like Modern History Press to tell your story. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.